And welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show. I'm Andrew Slavin and we now know who will face off in the League Cup final. But where will it be played? With Celtic now loving Murrayfield and with Hamden now becoming Aberdeen's new spiritual home, the debate... Ah, nah, nah, I'm, I'm joking, I'm sorry. Ah, I'm so funny. Celtic will play Aberdeen at Hamden on the 2nd of December. It's the third time Brendan Rodgers and Derek McInnes will contest a cup final and will this be third time lucky for Derek's Dons? With only four Premiership teams in action, Kilmarnock had the chance to go second and St Mirren were desperate to gain ground on their relegation rivals. They did, and they didn't. More on that later though. Plus, in League One, we'll be joined by Dumbarton Football Club's resident poet. I feel so partridge right now. Alongside me in the studio, from The Telegraph, a man who's proven he can rhyme, it's JJ Bull. Who's really cool. Hey! And from Copper 90, welcome back, Laura Brannan. You've been stateside, haven't you, pal? I have. I just got back this morning, first thing, from Atlanta. Spent nine days there with Copper 90. Not quite sure what day of the week it is, but <laughs> crammed in a lot. Crammed in NFL, crammed in MLS, and even a bit of Scottish football along the way as well. Awesome. What MLS game did you see? We saw Atlanta United against Chicago Fire. Was it good? It was good. I enjoyed it and I enjoyed the stadium as well. It was very good. Lived up to expectations. It's meant to be amazing, that one, yeah. It's pretty decent. It's um, up there. Would you compare it to what Scottish club is the atmosphere <laughs> most like of the newly built spaceship that is Atlantis? Yeah, the crowds are meant to be amazing in there. Yeah, yeah, the crowd wasn't the best, to be honest. Mm. That, that was towards the end of the season at this point. Um, they're going for the playoffs, obviously. Um, so there were a wee bit kind of gaps in the crowd, but atmosphere was great. And it's, see, even the stadium itself, even in the concourse, it's like a spectacle itself. Just walking around, seeing all the different things on display, all the different food and drink you get on offer. It's Speaking a treat. Of that. Yeah, Americans like food. So yeah, a hot topic in Scottish football, JJ. That's right. The discussions being held, lifting the ban on booze at grounds. The SFA thinking about testing this out during the games at Hamden. We'll be hosting in Euro 2020. Yeah. Laurel, you're a big fan. Scotland games for me this is a no-brainer you you look around the world what kind of country has such a strict rule like we do we're so behind the times Mm. okay I get why it was implemented in the first place but we're still getting punished for something that happened 30 odd years ago and we're sitting here going how do we improve the match day experience oh let's let's think up all these ideas we're not really getting anywhere it's right in front of our faces yeah so it's it it was the the 1980 Scottish Cup final when Celtic and Rangers contested that one and there was a you know massive fights and brawls and all that stuff and booze was the you know culprit apparently jj but times have yeah, changed now haven't they? it was only the booze yeah. <laughs> why, mr booze well, why do i have to to put up why, why am i not allowed to just have a bit of fun at a game because something some morons did like 35 years ago winds me up it should have got rid ages ago you can't just tell people what to do they should be able to control themselves they're not animals say when aberdeen's been their new stadium right imagine they build this nice concourse outside it it's a great place to go and drink craft beer in aberdeen now it's fantastic but they could get all fierce beer and brew dog and stuff and all that right it would be a great time. You go there early, you get a shuttle bus out to the Concourse Bit, and you have a good time there. You have a bit of fun amongst the fan zone. You go into the game, you have a nice pint, then you watch the match. I mean, I went to see Ajax play uh, last season, and it was ace. You just had a little beer, and then you go and sit in the thing because people respect it. There's a problem in Scotland, I think, probably with drinking, and there's uh, some sort of culture attached to it. But if you just treat it with respect, maybe people will act that way. And if they don't, just turf them out. Was this was this not in a time of football across Britain, though, when there was a lot of it, Well, problems? the 80s, yeah. Yeah, so it's been a long time coming. 
That's the same reason why England don't have it. They've obviously got it in the concourse, so they're a step ahead of us. But their chief executive, the EFL, came out saying wants the rules to change. Yeah. That might help put us under pressure as well, because if they're changing it, it might then turn attention on us and go, well, you don't even have it in the concourse to start with. Mm-hmm. You're mentioning Ajax here. Yeah, see, when you go around the world and you try different experiences of football and different cultures, it's entirely different. You go to Germany, they turn up early, they leave the game later, like they, they hang about after the full-time whistle. Here it's very much a mentality of you, you get in at 5-3 to three and you leave five minutes before the, the end of the game. Yeah. No one's there for the actual match day experience. Because they go to the pubs afterwards yeah. and before. Like, mm. I'm going to yeah. go to Wembley tonight, I'm going to go to the pub first, then I'll go to something after as well. And it should be the case that you just enjoy it. I think it's treating it, the problem in Scotland as well is that a lot of us just drink to get smashed um, I mean, <laughs> you try to treat it with respect. You can just enjoy drinking. You know, you're not just like hooring down pints of tenants, like uh, one after the other. Other pints of lager are available, but then if you treat it with some respect, have a nice little time, you can have fun with your friends so without smashing up the there's toilets. Wee as, there's wee things as well. Uh, when I was at the MLS game last week, they've obviously got, which is similar to stadiums around Europe, they've got cup holders in the back of every seat. It's just second nature to them. But there was also the aspect of you could buy a drink in a normal cup or you could buy a souvenir cup. It was only £2 more, or, sorry, $2 more. Mm-hmm. But I did it because I was like, well, when else am I going to be in Atlanta? They're, they're getting extra cash. Every little bit helps. And that's the sort of thing that smaller clubs in Scotland could really benefit from that sort of revenue. A pie and a pint. Exactly. Yeah, drink's not the be-all and end-all at a Scottish football match, isn't it? No, but, it's not. And this is, this is the problem. So obviously it's societal. Not, yeah, exactly. You can't, like... People should drink responsibly. Oh, I'll be the guy. Well done, JJ. Right? Like, I love getting smashed. It's fun now and again. But in a responsible manner. The 80s have gone. Football's moved on. Society's moved on. People can go and um, behave. And they should be expected to. If you treat people like children, I think they act like it. If you treat them like animals, they act like it. People are going to be intoxicated on their way there anyway. Yes. So... All it does is pretend it's not a thing. Yeah. And, and it, I think but, you but can but do it in a different way. It's also there to, to allow the police, you know, a bit more of a non-worrying fear about the game. Speaking of the police, shall we move on to a robbery at Hamden? (laughs) It was smash and grab, it was a sucker punch, it was against the run of play. But find me an Aberdeen fan who cares. Lewis Ferguson headed in the only goal of the game against Rangers at Hampden with 11 minutes to go to send Aberdeen through to the Betfred Cup final. We're joined now by football writer and Dons fan Mark Gordon. Mark, do you care how you won? No, not in the slightest. <laughs> we set up a lot more positive than, uh, than we have done previously against our opponents. Yeah. Um, I think we started the game well and finished the game well, but there was a large portion in the middle that maybe wasn't. Yeah, about 80 uh, minutes. Too pleasant to watch. What do you make of Derek McInnes' approach to the game? On seeing the starting 11, I was quite surprised that he went so positively. It's not kind of what he would normally do. Mm. Um, Scott Wright being in there rather than Dominic Ball was a surprise to me. Whether it worked or not, I don't know. I guess you could argue it did because we won. But I don't necessarily think that, that was down to the positivity of the, of the setup. I think it was more just the dogged determination of the team. But it's good to see that he's at least thinking more positively in his lineups. Do you think that um, Aberdeen rode their luck in that game at all, or, or were, were Rangers just really poor going forward? I'm not sure we, we rode our luck as such. I, I don't think we defended particularly well in the first half. I think it was quite scrappy at times. Uh, we got it together in the second half, but I, I think if they only have one shot on goal the whole game, I don't really see it as 
ride our luck, I think we managed to kind of keep them at arm's length in terms of chances created and I think they were pretty disappointing in the final third really. Once we got one goal up, I think I was quite confident that we were going to win the game. Are you a Derek McInnes fan? He won this competition before in the 2013-14, as we remember. And uh, the league's not been great so far. I don't know, what you what do you make of his tenure? Do you think this is something that um, should boost his rep amongst the dissenting Aberdeen fans? Or what do you think is going on? I think it won't, it won't do any harm with, it, with those who are kind of starting to think negatively towards him. I think um, you can't really argue with his record in terms of league positioning, where he's taken the club from before he came in. But I don't necessarily think anyone should really be judged on how bad the kind of manager prior to them was. I think he has got um, negatives. Um, his transfer dealings haven't been particularly good. He does have a tendency to kind of err on the negative uh, or the defensive in terms of the big games. Um, I think that's gone against him. But like I say, you can't really argue with the fact he's come second the last four seasons after finishing, I think, in the bottom half of the, the four or five seasons prior to that. So you can't really argue with that, but I suppose maybe silverware, one or two more trophies wouldn't have gone amiss over his five years. Before Laura lays into them, because she's about to, right? I'm going to do it. I'll do a little bit of a pre, pre-ranting. So Aberdeen turned up at the start with a really uh, kind of offensive take on it. They pushed Rangers high. It was good. And the first ten minutes, uh, I was rather impressed. It was a four-two-three-one rather than the four-two-four, which is nonsense. And I hate it. Now, <laughs> and after that ten minutes, <laughs> um, I don't know what the hell they're thinking. McKenna spent most of the game on the touchline shouting, "Get out! Get out!" So he was just pushed up to the sidelines, sent his players, and all of them are sat deep. As soon as they got the ball, they'd pass it short. So <laughs> this is what happens: Rangers would attack, someone would shoot over the bar or wide. Aberdeen would get it, the centre-backs would split, the pass would go out to one of them, they'd look up and they'd hoof it to no one. Mm. No one showed for the ball midfield. No one came short, no one moved into space. When they eventually got into the final third, well, not the final third, into the Rangers' half, what then happened was that midfielders just ran ahead of the ball. So before the pass has been made, they're trying to... I can't tell McInnes' tactic was to hit the ball into space to then chase it down and try and win second balls, or if it's because people were just scared of getting or of receiving it. It seemed like Rangers were always going to dominate in possession, but what they didn't do was dominate in the final third, and the opportunities that they had, they wasted them. And it was very, very poor. And was that... They were toothless. They yeah. nothing to them. Go on, Laura. <laughs> Tell me! Oh, this is such a boring final. All the drama in the whole Hamden decisions, the combinations of the, the permutations we could have had out of these four semi-finalists. We could have had a Hearts-Rangers final, a Celtic-Rangers final. It, even if we'd shuffled up the semi-finals, it could have been different, but a Celtic-Aberdeen final? Come on. One of the top two it's in the country for the last so three years. so boring. What have Aberdeen done against Celtic? They finished second to them three years under the budget, about 36 times less. Yeah, they finished second to them, but they can't do anything against Celtic. They can do everything against other teams in the league. Who has done anything against Celtic the last three years? But, oh, come on. Who has? In my lifetime, Aberdeen have done nothing against Celtic. I've been watching Scottish football for 20 years, and Aberdeen have done nothing against Celtic. Yeah, last time they did anything good was about 90, maybe 93. It's probably the last time Honestly, they were any good, yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, it's going to be a walkover. It's going to be Celtic have won it. There's no point in Aberdeen turning. You see that? that one, Charlie. Yeah, record so. that one. They had the best chance of the first half, and they had the best chance of the second. That half. was McGinn putting over the bar exactly. from inside the, from, the box, from yeah. good GMS play on the right side. He should have at least put it in the target, McGinn. But the second best chance of the game, 
came to Aberdeen again. Yeah, they just um, it, they turned up in the last 15 minutes as well. They suddenly remembered they can play, and I think they realised that this Rangers team didn't have anything left. It's like watching um, you know, a really, really experienced boxer against some sort of up-and-comer, almost like the McGregor fight, where he's just sort of batting little bits at them and doesn't bother them. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they get bored and go, I'm going to knock you out now. The last 15 minutes, they kept the ball on the ground, they passed, and they caused problems. And that's when they suddenly got into the game, and then Lewis Ferguson popped up. Yeah, big but- talking point with that Lewis Ferguson. Obviously, family... Related to the, you know, the famous Derek Ferguson. Well, was he the son of Derek He's Ferguson Derek's son, yeah. and the nephew of Barry Ferguson? Yes. Um, yeah, couldn't have stronger links to the Rangers family. He's a great player. McKenna said after the game that he was born to play in these kind of hand in games. He's right. He's as um, as good a young midfielder as I've seen through Aberdeen in the last twenty years or something. Honestly, he's a. I would start him in the last season's team. I think he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Is this a sort of turning point for him? He's sort of kind of shot himself onto the stage now. We, we kind of know who he is. We've kind of heard the name in passing. Don't really know much about him, mm-hmm. but he's ever since the Europa League games, he's been playing ninety minutes for Aberdeen, and that's yeah, testament to him. Season, yeah. He's not been coming on as a late sub. He's he's been in a, in a regular, but now he's actually done something on the big stage. It means that people who are not going to be watching Aberdeen week in week out are now looking at him, going, right, I know that name. Let's see what you can push. There's nothing, there's nothing more important. I think earlier on, to be honest. I think he's been one of our best players um, all through the season. Like he was, uh, he's been the starting lineup every single week when he's not been injured, and then he's been one of the best performers. He's switched on in the head. He's one of the players that has that mentality that you need to to win stuff. And lo and behold, he turns up to to score the winner. We should talk a little bit about Rangers. Um, we talk about this, the dive. Yeah, uh, I'm going to bring up Sadiq because obviously Rangers were without Kyle Lafferty um, because he was cup tied, and Alfredo Morelos um, got a really stupid booking against their United. Uh, Morelos got a silly ref- booking, which meant he was he was suspended oh, for this no. game. So Omar Sadiq was the only player that Rangers could play up front, and, and, um, and you wouldn't mind having a low knee from Roma in your team. Well, yeah, yeah but you yeah. say that, but then when you look at where he's been. He's, he's probably played for Roma. He's been on like four loan spells. See, as soon as you see that, that's alarm bells to me. Yeah. If he's got Roma with like two appearances and then the rest of his career is just being away on loan, he's, still, he's, he's not done anything. He's just like travelling. He's, he's well travelled. He's learned. <laughs> yeah, there's the major question marks. He's well, Gerard basically said he, he sucks. and uh, <laughs> He kind of has. He's definitely not favoured at all. It's not been but he was forced. he was forced to play him in a really big game. But I'm sorry. I'm such a die. Yeah, when Jericho says you can't point fingers, I'm sorry, but when a player does that, you can. Yeah. That I think, I think, shocking. I think he, he kind of did insinuate that his players didn't show up yeah. in that game because he later he, he he did say that you know if if players don't show up, managers will come out and and just buy better players. Then that's the right attitude to put in at Rangers. Yeah. He's dead right to do that. Sadiq, um, the, the irony of that dive is that it was his best first touch of the game. He'd gone round the keeper. I don't understand players who do, do that. It's cheating. No, and they should be put in space jail yeah. with all the other footballers. <laughs> and I know I'm jumping ahead to the Celtic game, but Scott Sinclair had a dive. There was a St Mirren player. Daniel Mullen had a dive at the weekend. Can we just stamp this out of Scottish football, please, now, before it gets too far? Can we just be... Keep- Keep what punishment them? would fit the crime? What would you well, do to them? I mean, we get bookings. I, I would send them all straight away, but I'm a wee bit harsher. I just, I hate dives. Like, to me, it's the most dishonest. I, I hate dishonest people in general in their everyday life, but this to me, I think I'm scarred from, like, <laughs> Scotland experiences, primarily the Italy game. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. Um, I think ever since then, I've just really, really irked by people diving and cheating.
Yes, the treble treble is still on for Celtic and Brendan Rodgers. The Betfred Cup holders ran out 3-0 winners over Hearts at Murrayfield thanks to a sensational cameo from Ryan Christie, son of Tony. OK, he's not really, but any excuse for a bit of Amarillo. It really wasn't Craig Levine's day. It was a terrible start for Hearts when Stephen Naismith limped off after just seven minutes. And then you add to that the long list of injury blows Hearts have suffered this season. Berra, Sutter, Ikpiazu. That was probably the turning point of the game, wasn't it? It was a sad moment when the injury ghost struck. And the worst thing is that Naismith didn't really know what it was. He I kept saw saying, that, yeah. Said, I, didn't, I don't know what's happened. Something in his knee. S- sniper. Yeah, this is not good. It's, it wasn't good for the game yesterday because it just kind of killed it as a contest right away, but it's even worse for Scotland coming up with two huge games later in the month if he's out for the double header, That's really big for Scotland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was horrible to see Naismith going off. And they're really struggling with big players right now being out injured. I mean, I'd, I'd argue that Berra and Suter being out is maybe bigger because they are a kind of defensive duo. Mm-hmm. But in saying that, if you're not going to replace these huge players like for like, you're going to suffer. And if they can't hobble over the line into the January window, I'm kind of worried that they're going to drop off now. I mean, I think, I think Dicamona had a pretty good first half to kind of balance that, but second half obviously didn't work out for them. No. I thought Naismith going off, um, I thought they still could have been in the game, but then things just didn't go their way. And then, so I think we should um, reference the, uh, the penalty because I don't want to go into the refereeing chat again. Like we always do, but we're going to. So, do you think that was a penalty? Nope. Says, no. I'm just going to say what everybody else has said. The same thing. It was soft. It's not a penalty, I think. It, it was a penalty. I can't stop thinking that because everybody says, I've seen it, but it's soft. Bosnich gave the referee a decision to make. The way that Ryan Christie is running across the defender, Bosnich does stick his leg out. Yeah, and I and I know that. I know contact is minimal, but contact was made. The referee could have said no, or he could have said yes. He said yes. It's a penalty. I can't believe Willie Collum gave a. So, I mean, Ryan Christie says he lost his balance, and that's how he's gone down. So, if he did lose his balance, I can sort of like. So, I don't think it's a penalty, but I also can see why it's been given. And under the is circumstances, it, it, I see exactly why it's been given. It's just, it just—it looks like because he puts his leg out like a little. When he did it, I was like, "Oh, don't do that!" And he did, and then you know, Chris goes down, so it's a penalty, right? Done. So deal that, with no, it. Is, done. Uh, just, just say, is, mm. would it be a foul in the middle of the park? Something like that. That's. What, I, d- I don't know. No, it would. No. Still not seen it. No. <laughs> and then you heard it, it was like Chris Sutton on Colcoms was saying, yeah. saying, "Oh, that's a penalty for me, Michael." Yeah. And then you had Michael Stewart going, "No, Chris, no, no, Chris, no, come on." And uh, I think I don't know. I'm not sure who was right. Like I like, and I agree with both of them. It was definitely I the turning point in the game. That yeah. was the turning. It wasn't Naismith. The turning point was the penalty. Yeah, and that changed the way because then Celtic could sit back a little bit and hit on the counter. That actually, arguably, I'd say maybe Scott Sinclair coming on was the turning point. He came on and he opened things up a bit more. Celtic weren't really getting much from the wide areas. Hearts were kind of closing them down, mm. frustrating them. He gave Celtic's best chance of the game when he came on I think it was right at the end of the first half mm-hmm. um, and I think that just kind of sent Celtic in with the confidence that he did at half time and he was instrumental in most major decisions in the game after that uh, in saying that Ryan Christie was even more instrumental mm-hmm. having won the penalty assisting on and scoring an absolute screamer so mm. yeah 
Christy had more of a bearing on the result than Scott Sinclair, but I think Sinclair did change things. Yes, yeah, it's a, it looked as though the the two 0 goal and the shot from Ryan Christy, it looked like it went over the line. It was an absolute shocker from yeah, I've, I've kind of watched big old this Bobby over and over again and asking why is Ryan Christie not getting this goal? Because I kept going, am I getting this mixed up? Am I looking at Forrest and Christie in the wrong position? Why is he not getting this? Um, but yeah, he obviously had a big part to play in it. That error though from the Hearts keeper, oh. That is going to haunt him for a long time. (laughs) It looks like um, he just gets slightly wrong-footed. It's just halfway through his movement and it takes a tiny little nick and it just sends it a direction he doesn't want it to go in. Credit to Ryan Christie. He's a player who hasn't really been playing loads this season for Celtic. He's came on in flashes. You've seen a lot of him, JJ. Is this maybe a really good point in his career at Celtic? Um, he needed to uh, to step up to the Celtic level, I think. And he's he didn't have a great season. He was good in Aberdeen in spells, but he could often go missing a wee bit. But uh, I think that was his best game in a Celtic shirt. And, um, and Celtic did. are crying out for someone to yeah. actually stake a claim and and try and drive um, the hoops forward. We need to replace that kind of Stuart Armstrong role, and maybe he could be that guy. I thought um, one thing that's come out of this game. Um, since is the uh, heart striker Stephen McLean, who was wore the captain's armband yeah, broken, after Naismith went away, um, he could face a two-match ban because he. I mean, it says allegedly, but I'm going to say he could face a two-match ban because he grabbed Celtic midfielder uh, Boo Kawasi's balls at Murrayfield. <laughs> yeah, that's what he did. Yeah, it was very funny. <laughs> uh, Kawasi did not like it. He, he didn't. went down howling. He went down holding his nads, so you know <laughs> it's not the kind of thing you can die for. <laughs> Do you know? I, I love how you've just went straight in on this. Uh, after watching the, the reactions yesterday on the TV, they were all kind of skirting around the subject. It was like uh, being yeah. in the playground. I'm not allowed to say a certain word. I'm not allowed yep. to actually say what happened. We're all very embarrassed can't little children here. A, can't say it's a case of handbags. It's ball bags. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, Scottish football, don't you just love it? <laughs> I, I like the sort of um the sort of uh, football union like knowing looks like oh yeah, he's just up to tricks. That's the old school. That's yeah, fine. I, I because it. it's funny, that's why. And uh, it means now that Celtic will play against Aberdeen in the League Cup final, which Laura's not gonna uh. watch because she hates it. <laughs> and it's gonna be just a fantastic game. I can't uh, I just, I'm looking forward is to it. it. Is it odd to have a, a cup final this early in the season? 2nd of December, the final. Well, yes. Is it, is, it, it, well, no, it hasn't. No, it's, it's, it's No. No, it came, back. it came back a couple of years ago. I yeah. actually mentioned this when I was with the, the guys from Copper 90 in, in America. I was saying to them, they were going, all oh, the class goes on, let's go to the pub and watch it. I'm like, hold on a minute, there's two huge semi finals. Exactly. Um, I'm all about seeing this. And then they're going, why, why is it semi finals already? And they were completely unaware that the final happened so early in the season. And they, they wrote it off. It was, why is it so early? It shouldn't be this, oh, it's not a real competition. So uh, the outsiders are seeing it like that. They know nothing. Exactly. <laughs> no, We're I, forward thinking here. I was actually against it just because growing up watching Scottish football through the, the kind of noughties, I was kind of like so used to it being in March that it was just a kind of habit of, yeah, I like seeing it this time of year, but I don't mind it being in November or it's in nice, this case it's December. Nice to see cup finals in the sunshine. I know we don't get much of that. We're not going to get it in December. Second of December. (laughs) All right. Yeah. I think um, as for how the game's going to go, who knows? But Celtic are good now. Listen. um, Yeah. Aberdeen have proved that when they're unfancied, no. But (laughs) well, when they're unfancied, they can um, they can come to the fore. No, they're never fancied against Celtic. And they still don't do it. Beat them last season. (laughs) Oh, the last game of the season when Celtic didn't have to win. But what do the facts say, Laura? You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. 
Kilmarnock had the chance to go second in the Premiership on Saturday and they did, albeit after only drawing at home 1-1 to struggling Hamilton. Barry Richmond from the Killy Trust joins us now. Barry, we spend a lot of time in this podcast talking about how amazing Steve Clark is and what a great job he's done. Just tell us how good it is at the moment. Well, it's fantastic. You can't really describe it as anything else. Uh, I'm kind of old enough to remember some of the, the glory years before, maybe not as early as the 60s, but certainly during the 90s we had a really good time of it, and it's just like reliving some of that again. How bad was it before, Clark? Well, I mean, I think the, the problems emanated from the top. We had a very bad situation in terms of the boardroom with the one-man board. wasn't interested in anything apart from himself, and he just he basically proceeded and uh, bringing in anybody that, you know, it, it would save him some money, I think, at the time. To be fair to him, it, no, I don't really want to be fair to him, but he, he kind of struck lucky with uh, Mixu Patalainen mm. and also then Kenny Shields basically got the job and obviously we won a cup that year. But uh, other than, the, the, you know, the cup runs, it's been very poor, especially in the, just recently before Steve Clark came in. What has he done to the... Because I- there's not been that massive a turnaround of players, has there? No, definitely not. I mean, most of these guys who are playing for us were actually playing the same time last year when he first came in. Mm-hmm. I think on Saturday there was only one guy, that bright, you know, Bakari was the only new player to that. Mm-hmm. Fair play to Lee McCulloch. He signed a few good players. He just didn't seem to get the best out of them. I think he can see a good player, but he was probably too close to them in terms of you know, he'd played with a few of them and stuff like that, and I don't think they quite responded to him the same. Steve Clark's come in, the amount of respect that these guys have got from is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And you can you can see them when, when they come out on the park, that they, they almost look as if, you know, we're just going to win here. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, it doesn't always happen, especially recently. I mean, the last four games we've been down a goal, well, five games now, we've been down a goal first, so it's been a sloppy start. But these same guys have, have been performing miracles compared to where they were before. And guys who were getting absolutely slaughtered at the same time last year are now guys who are winning all the praise. So, so who are some of those players? Who's been the shining light for Kamarnock this season? Well, as you can imagine, Kirk Broadfoot got a bit of stick when he came you know he didn't seem to be up to much he was giving away penalties week after week and things like this but when he's not on the team now it's it's blatantly obvious mm. he struck up a really good partnership uh, with the boy Finley again he, he was loaned to us twice but one of our best signings as far as I'm concerned give us some stability at the back there we're right back fantastic Scotland call up left midfielder Jordan Jones Northern Ireland call up I mean, these guys also, it's very difficult to, to pick out the, the best amongst them. I should mention Alan Power, of course, uh, absolutely didn't get a look in when Lee McCulloch was here, despite the fact he signed him, and now he's outstanding every week. To the extent we've, we've signed uh, this fella, Jack Byrne, who I've seen play before, great player, kind of get in the team. Now that Kilmarnock are actually quite good, and you can expect to win more often than not, do you feel there's a change of feeling in the... People going to the to the games. Does it feel like more of a buzz? Or is there attendances up? Does it feel that like there's something happening? I think we've always been quite good, <laughs> which we just didn't get that many results before. The, the change on the park is reflected off the park as well. Really, I think obviously with the, the boardroom change, with Billy Bowie coming in, and brought in John Kelty, uh, Bill White, now Phyllis McLeish, and, and we're own director for the Trust Cathy Jimmison's on the board as well. The communication between the fans and the board is, is just 
stratospheric com- com- compared to where it used to be, you know, there was no communication at all. So the club aren't doing things now which the fans are, are really bothered about kind of thing. So everything that they're doing is emanating from the fan base mostly. So everybody's kind of happy. It's Unfortunately, at some stage, you know, everything goes in peaks and troughs in football and we just got to kind of enjoy it while it's happening just now and, and wait to see what happens later on. Now, Barry, I've been chasing a question for quite a while now. I want to know why Eamon Brophy is called the Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I've think I'm allowed asking, to say that. I've been on. asking everyone and I want to know. It's definitely a, a dressing room nickname. Okay. And it came for the players, uh, no, at Kilmarnock, actually, it was at Hamilton. Mm-hmm. He brought the nickname with him and it just stuck. Somebody found out about it and, and it stuck for there. But the actual reason behind it is that I say I don't think can be broadcast. The mystery continues. Oh. You asked me this weeks ago and yeah, I, I hunted down the answer for you. Did you? I, I did. did. No, I, was told, I was told. You're listening, was, Barry. I was yeah. told it was Lee Day that gave him the name. And it was because he hunts down players and he's hungry for goals. That is such a lame Which reason. Which is really cliched. I don't believe and I it. I was really hoping it was because he had a really hairy back or something. A back, like that. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I think we should go with that. That sounds a little yeah. bit. We'll go yeah. with that. that might be the party line that they're going with, but that's, yeah. that's the kind of intel that I was given. Good point for Hamilton, though. They needed that. Something positive for them to hang on to. Yes. James Keaton's though, what a sitter. They could have taken all three points. That is going to haunt him. Hamilton fans probably don't like me because a couple of weeks ago I kind of said, I don't know what Hamilton have got. It's not just I, them, Andrew. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, that's the thing. And, I, and I, I was pleased to see Dougie Emery getting on the score sheet. I was pleased to see him on the team sheet. <laughs> me too. I like seeing him everywhere. Oh, was that a push? It was. Andrew Dallas points to the spot. Tony Watt on a chance to redeem himself. He can take it though. It's Liam Craig this time. And he can't score either. Tommy Wright will be pulling his hair out. One thing is for certain, St Johnston suck at spot kicks. But it didn't matter, as despite missing two penalties, Tommy Wright's side saw off St Mirren by two goals to nil. Tony Watt's penalty was saved by Craig Sampson, and then Liam Craig decided to launch his penalty into orbit joining Jason Kerr in space. <laughs> it's really tough times for St Mirren, isn't it? Alan Stubbs, four games in charge or something like that. Has that just damaged them for the for It's probably the affected confidence. I mean, we went through loads of things that was wrong with St Mirren. That were wrong, sorry. That was, uh, that was my, my, my upbringing. It was poor grammar. <gasps> uh, grammar alert! Ah! <laughs> I was pulling up, slaving in some of those earlier. <laughs> uh, I think Stubbs is much um, appreciated tenure didn't help the confidence he's not brought in anyone that's really there the the players I don't think sadly are really up to much at the moment maybe January they get some more in but they need confidence that's what that's what like a change of manager is supposed to do you know a new man comes in and then it's supposed to breathe a you know, some fresh air into the Which into it the did dressing for the room. First game because they drew with Celtic. Yeah. So then you go right, great turning point, and then they were lose five, and it, that's why I just it's a wee bit harsh blaming Alan Stubbs. Yeah. Because they've played so many games since then, and they're still not even showing any signs of coming. But, but it's more the, the the prep for it. I really think if Jack Ross had still been in charge, they'd be doing a lot better. It's just to, to played a different kind of football, and that's what it was that got them up in the first place. I mean, there's so many teams that go into the championship, and then they 
meddle around for ages, never going anywhere. But if you have a clear style and it works, and by all accounts, everyone who talks about Jack Ross at St Mirren loved him, hence him going to a bigger job at Sunderland. Yeah. So and you get Stubbs come in and no clear vision. It was hump it, stay tight, boys, and the players. They're not good enough, even um, trying to see out games, and then little mistakes are coming in. And I mean, they should have lost by more. Yeah, T- Tony, well, what a miss! Well, if you miss two yeah. penalties, then oh well, well done, Tony. Why can't you score? <laughs> Tony, why is that his new name? Tony, how the f- did you miss that? <laughs> I got them all. Um, it's it's good for St Johnston though, because what well, back to back wins, um, and they play yeah Livingston on on Wednesday. So you know. Tony First chance Watt, to win three, three Tony games Watt's in a row. through a, dif- a difficult time just now. You look at, he scored six pretty much on the trot when he first came in at the start of the season. Mm. And he's, he's just gone through one of these spells. It'll be frustrating the hell out of him right now. The fact that he'll have missed a sitter and missed a penalty will just have harmed him even more in terms of his head going. And I think it's really important on the back of that if he can go out Wednesday night mm-hmm. and just put that to bed, score early on, because that'll help his confidence massively. He will be properly kicking himself but be, I like that your advice to Tony Watt is just score Tony <laughs> just, just do it it's really like, easy it's like, you'll be confident if you score why don't you score just tap it in he's never thought he's never thought of it I mean, it's stating the obvious come on Tony it'll be difficult though against Livingston but obviously for St Johnston just to have a couple of wins back on the board because they, they are fluctuating at the moment they cannot get a steady run of games yeah there are tendencies as well as kind of showing I saw a few Johnston fans moaning about uh, the weekend that they had 2,000 fans there at a mm. home game on a Saturday afternoon 3 o'clock kickoff. And it's like the crowd was something like 2,700 and nearly 700 of that was travelling fans that's really poor numbers for a Premiership game. Dundee United took 2,000 to Dunfermline for their Championship game and they're not doing, they're obviously not on a run just now. So when you look at a Premiership club like that, they should not be bringing that. Time to go around the grounds. It's our man Neil White with a roundup from the rest of the action in the SPFL. Let's start by talking about Ross County. They're unbeaten since August and scored their fifth win in a row, 5-0 at home to Morton. It's the third time this season County have hit five and Billy Mackay scored three of them. He is red hot just now, eight goals in the last four games for Mackay. But if County thought their win last week against Air United had burst their bubble, the surprise package of this championship season displayed considerable cojones with a 1-0 win at Partick Thistle, which keeps them a single point behind the leaders. And Dundee United appear to be gaining momentum in third. New manager Robbie Nielsen has seven points from a possible nine after a 2-0 win at Dunfermline. Exactly the type of fixture United could not navigate earlier in the season under Shaba Laszlo. Billy King and Paul McMullen scored for United. McMullen also missed a penalty. At the bottom of the table, Falkirk lost for the ninth time in ten league matches. Queen of the South beat them 2-0 to move fourth. Defender Jordan Marshall scored on his 22nd birthday. Happy birthday, Jordan. And Aloha are unbeaten in four, five points clear of Falkirk and one behind Partick after a 0-0 draw with Inverness Cali Thistle. Keep your eye on the league's only part-time team. If they survive after a 36-game season, it will be a unique achievement in Scottish football this season. In League One, Arbroath moved seven points clear at the top, nicking a 1-0 win at Stranraer with an own goal. Behind them, both Wraith Rovers and East Fife lost. 
Forfar came from behind for a 3-2 win at home to Wraith. Dumbarton, in Jim Duffy's first game as manager, ended East Fife's eight-game winning streak with a 4-0 win. Dumbarton remained joint bottom with Montrose, who also won 3-1 at Brecon. Two points cover the bottom six teams now. What fun. So a fine first day for Duffy at Dumbarton. In League Two, however, new Berwick Rangers boss Johnny Harvey proved it doesn't always work out like that. His first league match ended in a 3-0 defeat by Cavan Booth, with three players sent off for Berwick. Edinburgh City are your League 2 leaders, with 27 points from a possible 30 after a patched-up team came away from Stirling with yet another win. So as Neil mentioned, Dumbarton filled their managerial vacancy by appointing a stalwart of Scottish football, Mr Jim Duffy himself. And it was a perfect start for Duffy as they gubbed East Fife 4-0 on Saturday. The appointment of Duffy was greeted enthusiastically with Dumbarton's poet-in-residence, Stephen Watts releasing a poem for Duffy entitled White Smoke. And I'm delighted to say that Stephen joins us now. First and foremost, pal, explain how you came to be the official Dumbarton FC poet. <laughs> Hi guys, um, much begging, much uh, much begging indeed. No, um, you know there was a, a thing a few years ago. Derby County um, were running a, a football anthology called "The Pride and the Passion," and they were inviting um, football poems in, and it was curated by Ian McMillan, who presents the BBC's The Verb. Um, so basically, I punted off a poem at the time called "Bulkhead" uh, about our old home. And it got a third prize in the competition. And about the same time, uh, Thomas Clark, another Scottish poet, had um, a poem uh, also published in the anthology. So the race was on, really, um, to see if a club would uh, take themselves uh, to bring a poet onto their, their book, so to speak. And um, Thomas became the first Scottish poet in residence at a football club with Selkirk. And... Um, I I did I wrote to Dumbarton a, a few times and it took me maybe I think about two years. Um, they came back to me and said, "Well, I don't see why not," <laughs> which was a, a great vote of confidence, you know. But um, so we, we discussed then what was the plan, and I think that like the way I was looking at it was that if if I can promote Dumbarton in any kind of positive light, in the way that Dumbarton fans see their club, then I would be absolutely ecstatic to take on that role. And um, as of September 2016, um, I've been in post since. Like, obviously you write poems for Dumbarton, mm-hmm. but what, what, like, do you do anything on a match day or...? Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, out in the centre circle with a microphone. This interview is over. I'm sure I'll fulfil the dream of dressing up as Pelly the Elephant and maybe reading <laughs> poems to the audience, you know. But, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think that just now it's, uh, it's for match programmes. Um, what happens is that I'll take in the, the game, the match day, and what it is around the club that I see that basically I think would be of interest. And the thing is, I'm trying to steer away from just writing about the team, what you're seeing on the pitch, because 
you know, they can become a little bit samey if you're doing that. Mm. So I'm trying to write about the turnstile operators and the ball boys and the people that hot dog stand and, you know, all the things that kind of, all the ingredients really that makes a, a club so special to um, the supporters. And I suppose like with, with Dumbarton, like, we didn't, we've not had um, a, a great lot of fortune in the, the last 12 months or so. Um, so I suppose you're trying to stay away from what's happening on the pitch anyway. Um, but hopefully with Mr Duffy at the range and after Saturday's performance, uh, there might be a few more volumes relating to what's actually happening on the pitch itself. <laughs> well, speaking of that, so the previous manager was Stephen Aitken. He got sacked at the start mm. of the month. Um, he took them to the Iron Brew Cup final last season, which is the first ever in their history, the first ever cup final history. But they're yeah. second bottom of the League One. Why was Aitken sacked? Was it because they're second bottom of the League One? <laughs> well... <laughs> I know, it's the obvious. <laughs> I think with, uh, with Stevie, I mean, Stevie did a phenomenal job. I think he was one of the most longest-serving managers in recent times. And um, I think that perhaps he's, he's opted for quality over quantity. And when it comes to a part-time club like Dumbarton, we, we do need quantity. We do need more players to, to be able to select from. And the, the guys that he's brought in, I mean, some of them are really, really decent players. Guys like Ross Forbes and Rory Loy, but... I think that um, when the injury list kept on piling up, then it was, I think Stevie's hands were tied a little. Um, but as I said, like with Saturday's performance, it just goes to show sometimes it takes a, a certain kind of person to get performances out of players. And um, and that's, that's why uh, Dumbarton have put their faith in Jim. So, I, I mean, I feel for Stevie, but I do think that he's a good manager. I'm sure that he'll find another club soon enough. And, you know, he's very young as well in his managerial career, and I'm sure he'll do a great job especially in light of what he achieved with Dumbarton last season, reaching the Iron Brew Cup final. Well, it's a new era now for Dumbarton um, mm. with, with Duffy at the helm. And your poem kind of talks about positivity being restored. Um, yeah. so this is, this is yeah. a move that you know most fans have kind of welcomed, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think that we we will grab anything we can that's going to kind of like, I don't know, look at it as in a positive light. And I think that... Yeah, I mean, I may be jumping the gun, you know, but you, you try and start off on a positive foot. You want to get behind the, the team, the manager, and um, I suppose that's what I was doing. I was cheerleading. That's all I was doing, you know. And uh, I'm shaking the pom-poms of poetry. <laughs> and uh, hopefully uh, it's just kind of struck a chord with uh, a few people, including yourselves. Right, come on, give us a blast, your poem. Either the whole thing, yeah. your favourite bit, whatever. Oh. Just, just give us a thing. It, it's, it, it's not too long, so <laughs> it's called White Smoke at the Rock, and uh, I'll rattle through it quickly enough, guys. Good man. Where were you for the new manager was appointed? Counting calories in the crisps aisle halfway through a driving lesson, editing your Facebook profile, wrapping that first batch of Christmas presents, shaving in a new hairstyle, attending yet another drizzly wedding. Fixing roof tiles or in a pub guzzling something effervescent. Something changed. Alien. Sanguine. It changed the casuals into watercolours, turned photographers snap happy, cast groundskeepers as sculptors shaped tomorrow into poetry. Then positivity restored itself in blood. Hope bracketed the players' bones and the epitome of supporters' aspirations roosted on his shoulders like wings to fly with or the leaden avocatois some can never carry. Thank you. Oh, Stephen, well done, mate. That was absolutely fantastic. (laughs) You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Well, there's a full programme of fixtures in the Premiership on Wednesday, guys. The biggest game without a doubt, the league leaders against the league's second top scorers. It's the Edinburgh Derby at Tynecastle. 
Hearts must be praying that their um, injury problems aren't going to come and bite them. When the injury ghost comes to haunt you, he doesn't leave for an awful long time. Especially not on Halloween. Wait. That's right. Yeah, I know. Neil Lennon, though, wasn't very happy that Hibs didn't have a game this weekend. He got moved. The Rangers game got moved because yeah. of the, the oh. semi-final, yeah. When is Neil Lennon not ha- <laughs> ever happy about something like about the fixtures? If, if, if there's ever midweek fixtures, he's having a moan about it. Was it not because there was the week or two-week break for the internationals and then... He had a game, and then there's another like nine days he had to yeah, wait. Yeah, but when you look at his December fixtures, sure, they've got three Wednesday games. One is on and then Boxing Day, so that's a given. They're going to be playing that regardless. <laughs> the other two, St Mirren and Rangers, you couldn't have moved either of those games to the weekend because they both had other fixtures. So hmm. stop moaning, Neil. He said that it was a, a shambles, but <laughs> hey-ho. Um, I think it's going to be Hibs. I can't go for Hearts oh, at the moment. Dangerous making predictions, Andrew. What, you're not going to join me? Uh, I'm going to predict that Hibs will play some exciting attacking football. Uh, I love Hearts' counter-attack. They're really nice with the one-touch pass move. It looks good, but I don't know what their team's going to be. You know, I hope they play exactly. Callum Morrison. Um, they can be more expansive because they're not playing Celtic, so that's going to help. And I think it'll just be. Fin- I'm really looking forward to this one. It's going to be great. I'm kind of hoping my Halloween night out gets cancelled so I can go and watch it. Okay, cool. Uh, Rangers, Kilmarnock. Oh, what a tough one. What a good job Steve Clark's done. <laughs> Rangers are back. Uh, what else? Uh, just pressing JJ buttons. Yeah. yeah. Bu- I'd, if, I'd, like, the, yeah. What do you think, Laura? If Kelly win this one, is this a kind of turning point of Rangers fans starting to kind of get on the back of Stephen Gerrard? No. I don't think so. Are they still so. blissfully in love with him and I think blinkered? I think they seem um, sort of they're realistic in their ambitions. The, the Rangers fans I've talked to, they are. They don't seem as... In past years, sure, some have seen slightly on the, not delusional side, but, you know, very like, we must win or... or ah. But now, um, a lot of my pals who are Rangers fans just seem like, yeah, it's coming together, it's going to take some time. Yeah, and you can see they're missing... I mean, they missed their strikers against Aberdeen. They're playing at Ibrox, and again, we know they're very good at Ibrox. That's yep. where they seem to turn up. So this is the problem Gerrard's got. is playing away, especially playing neutral. Rangers have been very bad at Hamden, especially. I saw a record. They've not scored a goal in like five games or something stupid like that. But this is Ibrox, so it's different. So uh, there we go. I mean, they've not had to go any very far. It's still Glasgow. Um, who knows what the score will be? But uh, Kilmarnock will sit tight and be solid, hard to break down. Yeah. Uh, Rangers learn they don't like that against Aberdeen, but also uh, Killy have more about them in attack just now than Aberdeen do. So well, you've had that. You've got that stat for Kamarnik as well, haven't you? That, that they've been behind six games and they've came back. It's a part of the cunning ruse. Not it's, lost. It's part of Clark's genius is that he likes to concede first, so they are lulled into a sense of security. <laughs> you know that low block that you like to talk about. Yeah, like, it's like the low the block. St- it gets penetrated once and then they come back. Dundee versus Celtic. Well, they have a new manager, Dundee. Uh, well. Well, he's had the, a game. The, yeah. Well, we know McIntyre's not got his favoured number two, that's for sure. I don't know how much that's going to play into the game, but... I, I mean, I don't think Billy Dodds would have had a huge amount of input into Dundee. The breath of confidence, terrible in both boxes. Okay, in between them. Celtic have just hit form. They've got players who are trying to get in the first team now. You'll have players like uh, Christie will be pushing to... You know, everyone wants to impress... It'll be interesting to see how Celtic approach this if they try to utilise their squad a bit more because obviously they've got hearts on Saturday as well. They've had two huge games recently. Mm-hmm. You can see them maybe dropping one or two. This is a huge one for Dundee though because sitting down there at the bottom they've got Celtic and then they've got Motherwell which could be a really big one for them in terms of shaping up that relegation zone. So Dundee just try to play out for a draw and, and focus everything on Saturday? Dundee sit with a low block. 
and they try and hit them on the counter <laughs> with the pace out wide and then they try and hope to get a goal from a set piece there's no like they don't have the players to do anything else really they can't take the game to them they can't even take the game to mm-hmm. St Mirren like mm-hmm. it, it, yeah it could be a big score line for Celtic but you just might not they might not turn up you, you know, know? You and know. also as we know from playing football manager too many times if you change your squad too much you lose these silly games that's what happens Talking about Dundee having Motherwell on Saturday, Motherwell have got a good game against St Mirren. St Mirren are just woeful at the moment. Would you say that's a relegation six-pointer? Well, that's what it says in the script. (laughs) 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 This one's a good one for Motherwell to get back on again. This is a game that's winnable for them. If they can go away from home, pick up the three points, that'll do them the world of good going into the game against Dundee on Saturday. I can see them getting six points. I think... um, Robinson, the manager, would have focused on this game. This is the game he probably will look at and say to his players, this is where you show your fans that you're still able to play good football and you can still win comfortably. I think it's going to be a bit like a naval war and they're going to just be hurling balls into the box yeah. trying to take advantage of uh, panic and unsettled defenders. Motherwell should not be losing to teams like Samaritan and Dundee. No, if I, they I, do, then they deserve to be down that end of the table. So <laughs> let's see how they play out against the next two games. I see them coming away with six points. Livingston, St Johnston. Levy, riding the crest of a wave. <laughs> the, on the mane of a lion. <laughs> They're surfing a lion on the wave of victory. You know what St Johnston need is a striker who can score the goals that they're creating chances for. Tony Watt should have had heaps. At least one. Livingston should be fine, right? They're taking their chances, and I wonder when... I'd love to see their XG, actually. I've not seen it for a while. I wonder if they're overperforming and whether they level out and go back down a wee bit. This is, I can't call this one either. It's really, really difficult. And, of X- course, Livingston are still unbeaten under Gary Holt. So. XG is expected goals ratio or something like that, right? It is, yeah. So are you familiar with the... With the I'm just trying... You know, some people might not Devil's know. advocate, that's true, yeah. People might not know. Yes, yeah, so XG, in case you aren't sure, is um, expected goals. So it's a model that collects... Um, there's a few different models you can get. Say, for instance, the BBC will have one where they'll say the expected goals is 2.84 to 0.3. That would be Celtic versus Aberdeen in the cup final, for example. And it would mean that you'd expect there should be about three goals to, because of the chances that are created... So say that you have a tap-in from six yards, generally that would count as a big chance. That might count as a one. A penalty would count probably as about a, a one. And you'd have variations of it. And it, it takes into account um, where you are in the pitch and certain other things depending on the model. So it's not flawless, but I really like it as a way to tell. And you can usually see how teams will level out over a season compared to their expected goals. Well, I think Livingston's home advantage will definitely count for them. I'm, I reckon Levy will win that one. 4-0, all set pieces again. 4-0 all, all centre-halves will score <laughs> More missed penalties <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah Oh yeah, okay Cool, I like that That's Chaos a, I like goals And finally, Aberdeen versus Hamilton I don't know what Aberdeen's going to turn up They uh, tend to get the job done at the moment but It depends on the shape that McInnes goes with They might be running the bounce off of the back of that Rangers win uh, There's players back from injury and suspensions now I'm sure McKenna will find a way to be suspended retrospectively. For what's, the, what's the situation on um, Considine? He went off with an injury, didn't he? Yeah, so the last I've um, heard about Considine is that they took him to the hospital with a neck injury for precautions, but he's absolutely fine. So do you think he'll play? I don't know, he might do. Mm. He's a hard loon, so maybe. But, uh, it, I mean, Hamilton are big lads, and it's the difficult one because you think Aberdeen should be the one with the majority of possession who take the game to Hamilton in this game but I really think McInnes wants them to be back to being a counter-attack team where they sit and then pounce on them and mm. hit balls in the channels in space it's very long ball-y and if you've watched the semi-final you'll probably have seen just hoofed passes it, it can work a lot of teams do it very well especially if you push up and you gain yards like in rugby and you win the second ball but I don't know Aberdeen should probably win that but 
they've not done very well this season so far. Who knows? It's going to be good, though, like all the games. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Monday after Celtic face Hearts again, this time in the Premiership. See you then. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the Totally Football League Show with Caroline Barker and, of course, the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Totally Scottish Football Show.